Chapters eight and nine of Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia, by Samuel Johnson. Chapter eight. The history of Imlac. The close of the day is, in the regions of the torrid zone, the only season of diversion and entertainment, and it was therefore midnight before the music ceased, and the princesses retired. Rasselas then called for his companion, and required him to begin the story of his life. Sir, said Imlac, my history will not be long. The life that is devoted to knowledge passes silently away, and is very little diversified by events. To talk in public, to think in solitude, to read and to hear, to inquire and answer inquiries, is the business of a scholar. He wanders about the world without pomp or terror and is neither known nor valued but by men like himself i was born in the kingdom of goyama at no great distance from the fountain of the nile my father was a wealthy merchant who traded between the inland countries of africa and the ports of the red sea he was honest frugal and diligent but of mean sentiments and narrow comprehension he desired only to be rich and to conceal his riches lest he should be spoiled by the governors of the province surely said the prince my father must be negligent of his charge if any man in his dominions dares take that which belongs to another does he not know that kings are accountable for injustice permitted as well as done? If I were emperor, not the meanest of my subjects should be oppressed with impunity. My blood boils when I am told that a merchant durst not enjoy his honest gains for fear of losing them by the rapacity of power name the governor who robbed the people that i may declare his crimes to the emperor sir said imlac your ardour is the natural effect of virtue animated by youth the time will come when you will acquit your father and perhaps hear with less impatience of the governor oppression is in the abyssinian dominions neither frequent nor tolerated but no form of government has yet been discovered by which cruelty can be wholly prevented subordination supposes power on one part and subjection on the other and if power be in the hands of men it will sometimes be abused the vigilance of the supreme magistrate may do much, but much will still remain undone. He can never know all the crimes that are committed, and can seldom punish all that he knows. This, said the prince, I do not understand. 
but i had rather hear thee than dispute continue thy narration my father proceeded imlac originally intended that i should have no other education than such as might qualify me for commerce and discovering in me great strength of memory and quickness of apprehension often declared his hope that i should be sometime the richest man in abyssinia why said the prince did thy father desire the increase of his wealth when it was already greater than he durst discover or enjoy i am unwilling to doubt thy veracity yet inconsistencies cannot both be true inconsistencies answered imlac cannot both be right but imputed to man they may both be true yet diversity is not inconsistency my father might expect a time of greater security however some desire is necessary to keep life in motion and he whose real wants are supplied must admit those of fancy this said the prince i can in some measure conceive i repent that i interrupted thee with this hope proceeded imlac he sent me to school but when i had once found the delight of knowledge and felt the pleasure of intelligence and the pride of invention i began silently to despise riches and determined to disappoint the purposes of my father whose grossness of conception raised my pity i was twenty years old before his tenderness would expose me to the fatigue of travel in which time i had been instructed by successive masters in all the literature of my native country as every hour taught me something new i lived in a continual course of gratification but as i advanced towards manhood i lost much of the reverence with which i had been used to look on my instructors because when the lessons were ended i did not find them wiser or better than common men at length my father resolved to initiate me in commerce and opening one of his subterranean treasuries counted out ten thousand pieces of gold this young man said he is the stock with which you must negotiate i began with less than a fifth part and you see how diligence and parsimony have increased it this is your own to waste or improve if you squander it by negligence or caprice you must wait for my death before you will be rich if in four years you double your stock we will thenceforward let subordination cease and live together as friends and partners for he shall always be equal with me who is equally skilled in the art of growing rich we laid out our money upon camels concealed in bales of cheap goods and travelled to the shore of the red sea when i cast my eye on the expanse of waters 
my heart bounded like that of a prisoner escaped i felt an inextinguishable curiosity kindle in my mind and resolved to snatch this opportunity of seeing the manners of other nations and of learning sciences unknown in abyssinia i remembered that my father had obliged me to the improvement of my stock not by a promise which i ought not to violate but by a penalty which i was at liberty to incur and therefore determined to gratify my predominant desire and by drinking at the fountain of knowledge to quench the thirst of curiosity as i was supposed to trade without connection with my father it was easy for me to become acquainted with the master of a ship and to procure a passage to some other country i had no motives of choice to regulate my voyage it was sufficient for me that wherever i wandered i should see a country which i had not seen before i therefore entered a ship bound for surat having left a letter for my father declaring my intention chapter nine the history of imlac continued when i first entered upon the world of waters and lost sight of land i looked round about me in pleasing terror and thinking my soul enlarged by the boundless prospect imagined that i could gaze around me for ever without satiety but in a short time i grew weary of looking on barren uniformity where i could only see again what i had already seen i then descended into the ship and doubted for a while whether all my future pleasures would not end like this in disgust and disappointment yet surely said i the ocean and the land are very different the only variety of water is rest and motion but the earth has mountains and valleys deserts and cities it is inhabited by men of different customs and contrary opinions and i may hope to find variety in life though i should miss it in nature with this thought i quieted my mind and amused myself during the voyage sometimes by learning from the sailors the art of navigation which i have never practised and sometimes by forming schemes for my conduct in different situations in not one of which i have ever been placed i was almost weary of my naval amusements when we safely landed at surat i secured my money and purchasing some commodities for show joined myself to a caravan that was passing into the inland country my companions for some reason or other conjecturing that i was rich and by my inquiries and admiration finding that i was ignorant considered me as a novice whom they had a right to cheat and who was to learn at the usual expense the art of fraud 
they exposed me to the theft of servants and the exaction of officers and saw me plundered upon false pretences without any advantage to themselves but that of rejoicing in the superiority of their own knowledge stop a moment said the prince is there such depravity in man as that he should injure another without benefit to himself i can easily conceive that all are pleased with superiority but your ignorance was merely accidental which being neither your crime nor your folly could afford them no reason to applaud themselves and the knowledge which they had and which you wanted they might as effectually have shown by warning as betraying you pride said imlac is seldom delicate it will please itself with very mean advantages and envy feels not its own happiness but when it may be compared with the misery of others they were my enemies because they grieved to think me rich and my oppressors because they delighted to find me weak proceed said the prince i doubt not of the facts which you relate but imagine that you impute them to mistaken motives in this company said imlac i arrived at agra the capital of hindustan the city in which the great mogul commonly resides i applied myself to the language of the country and in a few months was able to converse with the learned men some of whom i found morose and reserved and others easy and communicative some were unwilling to teach another what they had with difficulty learned themselves and some showed that the end of their studies was to gain the dignity of instructing to the tutor of the young princes i recommended myself so much that i was presented to the emperor as a man of uncommon knowledge the emperor asked me many questions concerning my country and my travels and though i cannot now recollect anything that he uttered above the power of a common man he dismissed me astonished at his wisdom and enamoured of his goodness my credit was now so high that the merchants with whom i had travelled applied to me for recommendations to the ladies of the court i was surprised at their confidence of solicitation and greatly reproached them with their practices on the road they heard me with cold indifference and showed no tokens of shame or sorrow they then urged their request with the offer of a bribe but what i would not do for kindness i would not do for money and refused them not because they had injured me but because i would not enable them to injure others for i knew they would have made use of my credit to cheat those who should buy their wares having resided at agra till there was no more to be learned i travelled into persia where i saw many remains of ancient magnificence and observed many new accommodations of life 
the persians are a nation eminently social and their assemblies afforded me daily opportunities of remarking characters and manners and of tracing human nature through all its variations from persia i passed into arabia where i saw a nation pastoral and warlike who lived without any settled habitation whose wealth is their flocks and herds and who have carried on through ages an hereditary war with mankind though they neither covet nor envy their possessions end of chapter 9 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey